everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fike Media Network. Happy Monday to you all. It's a brand new week as we are a few days away from WrestleMania Backlash. Happy May to you all. I'm Keela Cash, and by my side, as always, is my right-hand man, my co-captain, the wise man, and the sometimes advocate for Von Wagner on NXT 2.0. I bring to you, per the usual, Scott Young. Welcome back, Scott. Thank you, Keela, for having me. It's normally... Uh, a pleasure to come and chop it up with you and talk all things WWE. But when uh, WWE decides to put out duds like they did this week, you know, we just we're just chopping it up, you know, and we're not even chopping it up. We're just chopping apart WWE. And uh, this week, it's it's going to be it's not going to be a lot of sunshine. You know, we're going to have our, uh, our sunglasses on because there's going to be a lot of shade out there. Yes. And that was not our intention. I think up until Friday, this was not a bad week for WWE. And then the wheels fell off via, guess what? More cuts this time from NXT 2.0. Some notable names were released as we'll get to shortly. But up until Friday, I was pretty all good with WWE. I was not feeling angsty. I wasn't feeling upset about things. But as we kept teasing, Quarterly earnings are coming up for the first quarter very soon, and sometimes they tend to make those cuts to make sure the numbers look even better when they say, we did this for budgetary reasons. Yeah, this um, this is probably the part where it got to me the most as far as I just... I don't know, man. The the release of and this is probably going to sound like weird to people, you know, as far as like this is, the, you know, people are like this is the one that really got to you. But the Malcolm Bivens one that that one just it it's mind boggling because you have so many wrestlers, you know, even that you have at the top of the card who could use a mouthpiece like that. Malcolm Bivens is so good. Look at what he's been able to do with Diamond Mine. Like, he has made Diamond Mine so interesting. And the Creed brothers did their thing. Roddy did their thing. Ivy looks great. They have a great look. They have a great dynamic. But Malcolm Bivens is that glue. He keeps them all together. When he's cutting a promo, man, he's he's fantastic. I will die on the hill and say he's one of the best managers in the game. And you don't even get to see a lot of them. But uh, there's so many. I mean, you know, instead of breaking off MVP and Bobby Lashley, you know, a pairing that works, they have great chemistry. Malcolm Bivens is right there for Omos. Right there. Instead of Ronda Rousey cutting these bland and boring, I can't even say cutting, instead of Ronda Rousey reciting these lines and reading her book um you know on the mic live on television Malcolm Bivens is right there and think about the, the dynamic of Malcolm Bivens his little self talking all this smack and then he just stands behind Rhonda you know it's and Rhonda just walks in front and Malcolm Bivens could just talk her up the entire time she's right there it's it just None of this makes sense, man. Like, he he fills so many voids. Even a guy like Gunther and, and Ludwig, who don't need a mouthpiece because I think Ludwig's doing good, but 
imagine Malcolm Bivens with that package and having and they have a history. So there's there's history to play off of. Malcolm Bivens has been right there. I I I'm at a loss for words. And this one it's and, and WWE needs mouthpieces. They need people who can engage an audience, who can create interest, who can create a reaction just by talking. He can add so much to an act and he was never given the opportunity to. He got a little shine with Diamond Mine after 2.0 came, but he should have been so much more, man. I I, I'm so disappointed in WWE for this. And I know it was his decision because he didn't want to re-sign. But that's on WWE. That's on them for not giving him something to do before it got to this. For not throwing the bag at him. Because I'm sure they didn't throw him the bag like they were supposed to. Not a guy like him. If they weren't using him like they, sh- like they were supposed to, I'm sure they didn't value him like they were supposed to. Man, I hope I I hope he gets the world you know they got there's so many people he can go and manage i i i'm i have no doubt he's going to do great things but man wwe really missed the boat with malcolm bivens they really did that name popped up on my twitter feed yesterday and i was like really and then you get the truth as in he did not want to re-sign with the wwe and what we're going to get into today is the fact that We have been on this NXT 2.0 ride for seven months, and I think we have been very generous with our critiques of this show. There have been rough weeks and there have been very good weeks at the exact same time. I can safely say that since before Send and Deliver about a month ago, this entire brand has fallen off a cliff. And these cuts yesterday was clearly indicative of how far this show has fallen when you change everything NXT was, you change the entire development process to the point that Malcolm Bivens says, bye, I don't want to stay here any longer. He stayed because he wanted to get Diamond Mine over. And thankfully he did that. But who's going to get over in that group verbally? Will it be Julius? Will it, will it be Brutus? Will it be Roderick, who is not a strong talker? Will Ivy step up? I simply do not know. And the other name that got to me was Dakota Kai, a person that should have been a multi-time women's champion for that brand. You gave her an hour run last year as women's tag team champions. You gave her three days this month. And then you give her a title shot against Mandy Rose and she loses. And that's her last appearance ever on NXT. And apparently Apparently, throughout the summer of last year, she had several trial matches via dark matches on main event and on SmackDown, and they didn't see it for Dakota Kai. Like, how do you not see what Dakota Kai has to offer? She's unique. She's different. She's not a cooker, cutter, wrestler, or performer. She stands out in a good way. And for you not to see what she has to offer and for her to say, you know what? I don't want to be in purgatory anymore because I don't want to be here anymore. That's telling as to how far you've stripped away everything that made NXT fun. You've cut people that are at the heart of the original brand from well over five or six years ago in the last couple of months. Do you expect people that have been there since that day one shit to stick around when you change everything and you're not going to stay in NXT purgatory because she tried the main roster. You didn't see it for her. Why would you stick around? Same with the Malcolm Bivens. You see the landscape changing 
It doesn't benefit you long term. Why would you stay? And that's an indictment of what WWE has done. And we've been on this show saying that some changes needed to be made. But the key thing we always said was this is going to be an issue of varying too far in a particular direction that is going to do more harm than good long term. When it comes to developing new stars, when it comes to fighting your future, we see that in Braun Breaker. But even then, recently, you are finding ways to fuck that up. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up Braun Breaker. And then I'm going to get back to Dakota Kai. I think as great as Braun Breaker has been as far as the quickness at which he's picked things up and the natural ability that he clearly has, it's kind of been a double-edged sword. Because I, and this is just my opinion, um, I feel like with the way he's picked things up, and even like a Tony D'Angelo, like he's he's improved a lot. And and it's something that you've pointed out specifically, you know, on this show a lot. You've talked about his improvement. Um so I think those two, because of how well they've done, I think everyone else is being based off of that. The Creed brothers. Another example of an act that's really improved and gotten better. They still hit you really hard, but they've definitely gotten better. Um, and I think there's something to Tiffany Stratton. She's gotten better. You know, she's someone that we've talked about that has really improved since her first match. So I think everyone is being compared to them. And that's not that's just not fair. And, you know, because everybody just can't pick it up like that. Like Braun Breaker is lightning in a bottle that WWE is proving we can destroy that bottle and just let let the lightning go and do whatever because we don't have a clue what to do with it. And, you know, going back to Dakota Kai, people forget that she was one of she had one of the best baby face arcs in NXT history. Male or female. Um, that story she had with Shayna Baszler, where, you know, it was at first she was terrified of Shayna, you know, had her arms snapped, you know, and, and just was terrified at the sight of her. And then, you know, she she gets over that. She gets braver. She goes at Shayna Baszler. She doesn't win the title, but man, did she went over the crowd. She went over the audience. And then she snapped and became a heel. And made the audience just despise her. That's a great talent. I mean, that's that's a top tier talent right there. She's already proven that she can get to the top of the card both sides. Heal her babyface. She's proven that she can be a single star. She can work in a tag team. I, there's not much more you can ask for. And again, the landscape at which we're working with... She's somebody that a lot of these young women can learn so much from. <laughs> Tiffany Stratton, like we, somebody I'm just I'm talking about right now, she could learn so much from working with a Dakota Kai, uh, Nikita Lyons. Uh, there's so many women who could be working with her, and they can learn toxic attraction. Even the tag team. They Gigi and uh, they could learn so much just working with her and seeing her departure. It gets me worried about an Io Shirai and Io Shirai is one of the best wrestlers in the world, period, male or female. 
I don't, it doesn't matter. She could do anything in the ring. She's believable. She's got a great fire. And I'm, I'm worried about her potentially getting released from NXT 2.0. And I think she's one of the best wrestlers in the world. That's a problem. That is a serious problem. And, you know, like you said, we've been, I feel like we've been very fair to this show. You know, we, we call it the critiques, but we've called this show one of the best shows of the week multiple times. And for it to just take this nosedive, there has to be something else going on. Because the creative, it's almost like it's completely different. Like there's a completely different ship being ran. It's a, it has to be a new captain in charge. You know, because there were st- coherent stories being told. They were simple. But now it's just, I don't know, man. What do you do with the Creed Brothers? Another act. Dexter Loomis. You just spent an entire year building this guy up into a popular, you know, babyface couple with Indy Hartwell. Parada. There's another woman mm-hmm. who just got released. You just spent plenty of time on. You've been putting her over as a sex addict. You know, you've been giving her the nine o'clock sex hour the last two months of the show. And now she's gone. Um, I, what are they going to do? Put Indy and Duke together? They're going to be like, well... We're all that's left together. Might as well be together. I mean, <laughs> this is ridiculous. And Dexter Loomis was a part of one of the best segments in NXT. Like, that wedding segment was great. I thought that was a lot of fun. And he was the reason that was so much fun. I, it, it, it's he's, he's really talented, too. Like, he's really good in the ring. And... You're telling me that he's not a main roster act? Like, he's not a sports entertainment act? What? Dexter Loomis, the silent serial killer, isn't something Vince McMahon could see on Raw or SmackDown? Come on, man. I I have no idea what the thought process is. And it can't be a money thing because, listen... Like I'm a big Jinder Mahal guy, but you, I'm sure Jinder's making more money than him. And I'm not mm-hmm. wish for anybody to lose their job, but that's just me pointing out, I doubt it's a budget cut thing. And, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Parada is somebody, is a, a female, a, a woman who WWE could fully get behind. I, what is she, six foot tall? She's got a good look. She's been getting, she's gotten better in the ring. Good power moves. You don't have any tag teams. So it it fully makes sense to split up one of the few you have left. You just built up these two couples to become this like power foursome. And you, I don't know, man. It's, this is, this is a really frustrating week. And these aren't even, and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way, these aren't even like big, big names, but these are the names that seem to be like just getting to me the most. It's it's really frustrating. It is. And I think it goes to the fact that Persia Parada bought a house recently. And now like, what does she do now? 
Does she go back to Australia? Does she continue to pursue this stateside? And I hope she does, because we said on this show she could be a pillar with more experience. And you did not see that. And we saw her on TV Tuesday. Dexter Lumis was on TV last week teaming with Duke Hudson for a shot at the NXT Tag Team titles. And he was a cornerstone with Index, which was my favorite guilty pleasure of all of last year. That wedding was hilarious. It was so much fun. And now it's over. So Indy lost her husband and her best friend in the span of a week. And now she's got Duke. And as you said, they might just mush them together and say, hey, let's comfort each other. You lost your friend. I lost my woman. Let's comfort each other during this time. It's like, what are we doing creatively? How do you make these decisions and try to make it make sense when it does not? When we see something Tuesday and you fire them on Friday. I think about Draco Anthony, who also got cut, who was trying to be recruited to be a part of Joe Gacy's cult. And then he's released after getting beat down by Zion Quinn and I think it was a parameter of did he grow enough in time was he developed enough in your system here's the issue if he's not ready for TV guess what don't put him on TV that's another issue with this show in that you want to see people sink or swim on live television to see well let's test and see if they can be a star that's not how this works everybody cannot be a Braun Breaker or a Tony D'Angelo you can't just get on with the process organically it happens for a select few Tiffany Stratton another example of that sometimes you just get it quickly you a fast learner you find a love for this you appreciate the bumps and bruises that you take in that ring you learn how to run the ropes properly something we did not see Tuesday night which I'll get to shortly but the reality is you make these quick and fast decisions and you really don't think about what you put on TV and what you do behind the scenes you don't have to put Drake on TV if he's not ready for it think about Harlan a guy that we truly don't know his talent level you say he hasn't grown at the PC. Well, let's see. When you shave his hair and you make him have this generic ass personality, what do you expect? What do you expect him to do? Stand there like a statue and say, act, perform? We don't know. I hope Parker goes out there and he proves everybody wrong. And that'd be an indictment on the developmental process. If he's out there on the end of scene getting better, and perfecting his craft as himself, and he gets better. Who's that on, you or him? That's the question. I can't judge this guy based on what he's done because guess what? You stripped away everything that made him unique. According to Paul Heyman, he was a second coming of Brock Lesnar. I tend to trust Paul's judgment. He has a good eye for talent. But WWE stripped everything that made Parker Parker, and now he's got to go back to square one to find himself, and hopefully he does and prove them wrong. I would love to see it. But the fact is, WWE made these decisions, and it might come back to bite them in more ways than one. And you know who had more, who who had built more self hype than Parker? Like that dude came in with hype. People were excited to see what he was gonna do. And then you shave his head. You you turned him from Super Saiyan to Goku to Krillin. Like <laughs> he became. It was I, I, again. And you put him with Joe Gacy. And you have this NXT level up show. Well, why not let this guy be himself, you know, off the jump? I don't, this is baffling decisions. This guy has so many, it seems like at least on his Twitter, he's always, you know, with somebody famous. He's always in the mix with somebody. He's always got some new drip on. He's always getting commented on about something. Like, people are always talking about him, and he does nothing. 
Like he does nothing as far as in the ring or anything, and people are talking about him. He did nothing as far as wrestling went before he got there, and people were talking about him. That means there's something about this guy. And instead of instead of trying to figure out, let's see what it is. Let's let's let him do some different things. Let's let's expand that personality. Let's really see what he's got. Instead, they said, let's put his personality in a literal straitjacket and and shave his head. Let's put his personality and all of his hair inside this bald cap. I mean, that's essentially what they did. And it doesn't the Draco Anthony thing, you, you spent months on this guy. Like you, you spent months of TV time on this guy just to release him. The that aspect of it doesn't make sense to spend months on somebody, and you don't even know if he got over or not. You don't know if he's over or not because how often I mean, he's he's on TV for a couple like a week, then he's gone, then he's back, then he's gone, then he's just on backstage segments. How is somebody supposed to get the reps they need? And this is where, you know, hitting that little tour line, you know, doing some tours, some little small sticks around Florida. This is where that would really help. Small house shows. Go to high school gyms, man. I know you think you're WWE, so you're too big for that. No, you're not. That's how you get those reps. That's what they need. They need reps. They need reps in front of people, not in front of the same people who just want the same thing. We don't need everybody doing the same moveset. I was on the Brace for Impact podcast uh, with JD, and one of the things I noticed during one of the matches was everybody does sling blades. Like Everybody does that. And WWE, everybody does the same things. Like everybody does the enziguri kick in the ropes, everybody does that. It's it's just a it's a staple. Everybody does, um, you know the 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 basic comeback clothesline clothesline drop kick. When you're when you're the new baby face, that's your comeback. It's the same thing, clothesline two fists, you know big scream clothesline two fists big scream duck clothesline. I mean a uh, drop kick. That's the comeback for every generic baby face. That's a problem. How are people supposed to stand out and, and quote unquote grow when they're all being taught the same thing? And that's where keeping these veterans go back to a Dakota Kai, keeping somebody like that who has experience with other promotions, wrestling different styles, that's why you have to keep these veterans and why it doesn't make sense why you would let go of a Kyle O'Reilly and a Bobby Fish. You know, veterans who can just give so much. And I wouldn't be surprised if War Raiders, if this is them eventually losing whatever big match they're going to have and then they're released too. Because who knows what they're doing? I, I have zero... F- confidence right now in the decision making for 2.0 and three months ago this is my favorite show the most consistent show on the roster people were getting better Carmelo Hayes and Braun Breaker were both expanding we were excited about the trajectory 
Um, and now it's like we're we're a Joe Gacy victory away from a boycott. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And we've talked about it. If Joe Casey wins at least for a week, man, we'll find something else to watch on Tuesday. Yeah, that's how bad it is. And I debated boycotting this entire conversation regarding this week's show because it was so infuriating to watch as a viewer and to see the releases didn't make it any better. And it's a twofold situation of if you're a trainee at the PC and you've been there for six months to a year, I do understand the progress, the progress report of saying if you're better in a year, OK, let's move on. If you haven't if you haven't seen growth, then maybe this isn't for you. But what I don't like is something that Triple H said in an interview recently about the NIL deals and recruiting football players, track and field stars, gymnasts, CrossFit stars, models and gymnasts and whatever. It's a matter of, well, we get them and at one point we would hoard talent and now we're going to like churn them out if they don't work out in six months to a year you can't tell someone to get better in six months or a year you can't have that firm set deadline of you must be at this level in three months to make it to tv you must be here in six months you must be here in a year the process is different for everybody there are unicorns on 2.0 like potentially tiffany stratton braun breaker and tony d'angelo for example grayson waller has gotten better as well but everybody can't be them everybody has their own process of learning this. And granted, the people that you're recruiting, they're not wrestlers by trade. This wasn't their dream. You saw something in them, they showed up and they want to learn to love this business. And that does not work out for everyone involved. You got people on these NIL deals decide to stick to their sport of choice, the, the, the sport they went to school for, the sport they want to be professionals at, not so much professional wrestling. So it's very frustrating when you say, well, we have this benchmark for people to get better. You can't put that on people. And better yet, the parameter is not television. And a prime example of that is Lash Legend versus Nikita Lyons this past Tuesday. And for two minutes, it wasn't a bad match when they were striking and delivering blows to each other, but then they ran the ropes. And when you cannot run the ropes, that's a problem on live television. When you choreograph a match down and you forget what you're doing because you practice it so much, that's a problem. Practicing is not wrestling. It's a craft. You must learn over time. This is not rehearsal. This is not play dress for TV. This is how you perfect your craft. Not going through the motions of it. And then when you lose your spot, you're talking to each other. That's a problem. And even though you see something in Lash Legend, which I do as well, she's not ready for television. Nikita Lyons, she has a bit more experience, but I would never put people in a position to fail because they have the look. And this is some Johnny Laurinaitis shit from 15 years ago after JR left that post as the head of talent relations. We're going back in time. And I think this fan base in 2022 is a bit evolved from we only care about size. We only care about how you look. No, we care if you can fucking work. You know what turns me on on Tuesday besides horny hours, which it really doesn't, is Nathan Frazier knowing how to goddamn work. That's exciting to me on Tuesday. Not so much the TNA you put out to us to say, this is what we want to see. No, we want to see people work. We want to see people that can stand out, that has that charisma that you can't teach. The intangibles you can't teach in class, something they just naturally have. And we see that, but my God, you veer in one direction and saying, we must look this way. You must be this way in order to be a star. That's backwards thinking. This is thinking that is antiquated and outdated. 
You look at AEW, they don't go by your fucking size. They go by what you can do and how you're booked. That's the combination that gets people over. That's how you make stars. And for WWE to be three years into a head-to-head battle, for you not to realize that's the core issue with your promotion, that hmm, booking and talent and scouting and seeing what's a star, you don't figure that out yet? You let Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly walk out the door, Malcolm Biv and Dakota Kai say peace out and you cut them preemptively because you know they don't want to be there anymore because your system sucks because what you did to NXT was a bit too much for them. You got to work on what you've done to developmental. And we've said, you know, some changes needed to be made. But we always stated that this was going to veer too far left in a certain way that's going back in time that's not relevant in this day and time. Yeah, it's um, the, I don't know. I, it's, the whole thing is frustrating, and the, you brought up a good point about Nikita and Lash Legend. You got two inexperienced women out there who need to be led, and you release one of the best leaders you have. It's the whole thing is backwards. Um, some of the other good leaders you have are nowhere to be found. Io Shirai, nowhere to be found. It's, the whole point of 2.0 is, or at least or at least it seemed like it in the beginning iterations when it was working, was you matched up veterans with rookies. Or not rookies, but with younger talent. And that's that's what was working. Champa and Braun, um, Champa and D'Angelo, uh, Grayson and LA Knight. You had people who had been in the game versus people who are not. Io Shirai was working with Toxic Attraction. Um, you had all of that going on and working. And for some reason, you decided, hey, <clears throat> we have some women who got some some big booties and they're built up top. So let's put them on first and let's make sure we get some good shots. I mean, that's essentially, that's the only reason they were putting the ring together. Let's let's call it a spade a spade. It is what it is, and that's let and they can be all that because they are. They are built like that. They are, they have great figures. They look great. You don't have to put them out there like that. Like there's some stage attraction. They're gonna get the looks and they're gonna be like that regardless of what you do. Put them in a match with somebody who can lead them and let them be great and just look great on the side. Let them just happen to look great while being good wrestlers and getting better instead of worrying about just looking great. And if they're good wrestlers, that's cool, too. That's that's the problem, man. It's frustrating. Very frustrating. Yeah. And there was this conversation on Twitter Tuesday. Twenty four women were on were on NXT 2.0 and that's great representation. But there's a caveat to that. It's how you are presented and used. And I love the representation. Don't get me wrong. I really like the fact that you can rotate 24 ladies on your show to get promo time, to get ring time. You do see the value there. But as you mentioned, when you look at Nikita Lyons and Lash Legend and you see how they're filmed backstage from the ass to the bosom so to speak that's the male gaze that psychology shit that I learned in college and you're trying to play that up in 2022 and I go to Ember Moon's comments saying they told us how to dress sexier and how to be this and that be like Mandy Rose and I'm here to tell you I'm very sex positive I love beautiful women that embrace their sexuality that embrace who they are what I'm not here for is men trying to tell me how to fuck to be in terms of who I should look like 
like or what I should be or how I should perform on camera. I'm not here for that. How dare someone tell me this is how you need to be sexy. You need to wear this to really get the guys' attention on Tuesday nights. This will really bring in the viewership. Huh? So we're going back in time to say sex sells now. Horny hours is where it's at on Tuesday nights. Not so much. And then you try to make it equal by having a female come in there and say, here's some tips on how to really put yourself out there, brand yourself a bit more. That's all well and good. But I don't need a man in a boardroom telling me how to be sexy. This is how you need to sell yourself to the audience. We're going back in time. That doesn't work. The demographics in terms of ratings does not indicate a bump in terms of viewership when it comes to sex on TV. You can get that on Netflix. You can get that on ABC via The Bachelor and Bachelorette. You can get that via 90 Day Fiance on TLC. You get all that on Discovery Plus, $4.99 a month. There are YouTube. places. YouTube. <laughs> Instagram. Pornhub. I'm advertising Come for on, people man. here. Come right. on now. Like we are, we, it's like the tip of your fingertips on your phone, on your computer. Like this doesn't work in this day and age. And I go to Johnny Laurinaitis who got the bag once again in WWE for this thought process. I blame Bruce Pritchard, Kevin Dunn, Vince McMahon, old people trying to tell the young folks, this is what hip, this is what's happening. No, it's not. Just stop. And I feel for people that had to go through that meeting to tell you how to be sexy. Who are you to tell me how to be? Let me be me. And if I'm sexy, then, hey, let's do it. Let's get that over organically. You don't have to film me a certain way. Like they film toxic attraction from the legs up. Let's zoom in on the bosom. Let's zoom in on the legs. Let's have sex with the camera. To what point exactly? It's not helping the viewership. It doesn't work. It's antiquated. It's old school. It doesn't apply here anymore. We're all about sex positivity, but let the ladies embrace that themselves and not let it be an edict in order to say, this is what we need to do to get 2.0 over. You know what you need to do? Put on a good show in the ring. Get personalities over. That's how you do it. Let the women dictate how they should look and how they should be on camera. Not a man. I'm not here for that whatsoever in 2022. No, that's that's perfectly put, especially for that particular show with the women heavily featured and how people tried to use that as a knock against other companies and as a positive for WWE. But then when you really see how and what they're doing and they're not setting these women up to succeed. So that that was all very well put. Yeah. And I, you know, it's a number quantity, That's quality. It. It's a number. And I dig the number. I appreciate the representation, but it's got to mean something beyond the number. And you got people that were day one NXT followers and lovers and doing your faves get cut. You feel some kind of way, don't you? You feel a different vibe when your faves get cut and that's the risk with this switch over to 2.0 things like this happen and regardless of format change you know this is how it's going to be and I, I just think about where we were three months ago this show was so much better than it is right now as we're heading to spring break in and that is a reprieve for this show because if it wasn't for that a special event going down on tuesday we might not be reviewing NXT right now. And it's just sad because you could see the growth. You could see this show pivoting in a positive direction. And now we just simply do not know how this show on Tuesday is going to shake out in terms of title changes. And God forbid Joe Gacy walks away with the NXT championship, which will result in a boycott of this show indefinitely. 
Yeah, I, um, I'll probably give it up for a week. I could use my uh, my Tuesdays for some NBA basketball anyway. But uh, yeah, I I am looking forward to the show. I do think they still put out good um, specials for the most part, as far as their um, you know when anytime they do a special event. So I I do think they're still going to put on a good show. I I don't think Joe Gacy's going to win. But with the decisions they've been making and, you know, maybe they are ready to call Braun up, who really knows? I, I think they would be, I think it would be idiotic for anyone other than Carmelo Hayes to win the NXT title next. Um, if, especially if he's not getting caught up anytime soon, it would be idiotic. Let me repeat that, repeat that again. Idiotic. If Carmelo Hayes is not the next NXT champion. So, God, I hope it's not Joe Gacy. We're praying. We got like a little prayer circle going on right now. Praying that does not happen as we get to the final segment of NXT, which was more Druids this time around. And Joe Gacy cutting a very generic promo about how he's going to win the championship by default because Braun Breaker wasn't medically cleared. And then his father, Rick Steiner, comes out to say, hey, my son's medically cleared. And here comes Braun beating up all the Druids. Then he gets jumped by Joe Gacy. And then Rick Steiner is caught up by the Druids again. And we have a line of Druids hand the championship over to Joe Gacy. And Braun Breaker, for the second week in a row, is bitched out by Joe Gacy. So Braun Breaker has had two very bad weeks back to back. And I cannot take this feud. The presentation sucks. How did Joe Gacy get a flock of Druids? How did they become his followers i know the undertakers retire now and they are available for hire but this is just so 1993 and out of place and when you combine the fact there has been some pushback at the pc against Braun breaker i can only imagine the vibe in that building tuesday as you have boobers out there saying not my champion let's go joe gacy and that is going to be nauseating to watch because my goodness a part of me wants Braun immediately called up to the main roster to avoid this sabotage but at the same time i feel like there's much more work for him to do there in terms of maybe getting carmelo hayes over as the future nxt champion to be the a champion of a champions at long last but he's got to get through this test against Joe Gacy and I hope that the match over delivers because this feud from start to finish over a burnt not so burnt WWE Hall of Fame ring has sucked ass from beginning to end well I'll say this because I said this at the beginning of this 2.0 run and I think Braun Breaker has a monster heel run in him. And if the fans are going to go ahead and boo him anyway, if they're going to not my champion and do all that stuff, fine. Embrace it. Go with it. Let Braun be a monster heel and literally let him run through everyone. If that was how the crowd's going to react, if you're going to do that, man, I would run with that and I would have him squash Goldberg style, everyone. I'm talking, I would line them up and knock them down. Spear, suplex, power slam, one, two, three. And I would, in dominant fashion, until I have Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams be like, hey, it's time for the A champion to get the A belt. And You have a top, I mean, that's a top tier feud right there. The crowd will be ready for it. It's a good way to get Braun to put Melo over. It's a good way to coordinate him as the next guy to, you know, be the face of 2.0. 
I think Braun, I say run with it, man. Embrace it. Let Braun just be a heel. Let him start mowing down people Goldberg style. Run with it. I say just embrace it. I agree. At this point, the fans are going to turn on him. Then give the people what they want. Let a Braun break a heel turn commence. Let him be the ass kicker, be unstoppable on this show. And then ultimately get Carmelo Hayes over as the future NXT champion. And we mentioned this earlier and that the Viking Raiders hop through the 2.0 portal to feud with the Creed Brothers this Tuesday for spring break in, which should be a great match. But now... All of this tension revolving around Diamond Mine, specifically when it comes to Roddy Strong trying to get his troops information and Malcolm Bivens giving him the stank eye on this tu- from this past Tuesday and now knowing that we will never get a payoff unless Diamond Mine jumps Roddy and that it's just not going to be the same when Malcolm Bivens can make the hit. Yeah. What's going to happen to Roddy? You know, like... What happens to Diamond Mine now? Like, he was perfect with Ivy. Ivy Niles needed a mouthpiece like that, and, and he was perfect for it. I, I was intrigued by the story. I think the Creed Brothers versus uh, the Ward Raiders, I still think it's going to be a good match. But the added layer of Bivens and Roddy, that would have been a nice touch to add. You could still do it, but... Bivens as the mouthpiece and and the facial expressions on the outside, you're really going to miss that in the Creed Brothers presentation. Like the presentation is really going to miss Malcolm Bivens. I'm curious to see how it's going to look, you know, going forward. But that that whole thing is next time we see it on screen, it's just going to feel like something's missing. Whenever all of them are on screen together, it's always going to feel like something's missing. And this story will always feel incomplete. Next week, I'm, I I wouldn't be surprised if they just act like nothing happened and just put them, send them both in completely different directions. It wouldn't surprise me either. And that would be sad because Diamond Mine went through one transformation prior to 2.0 and the redo was much better. And now we're just lost without Biv and it sucks and it's because he didn't want to resign with good reason look at this show look how far it's fallen in a couple of months and it's just a shame that this group that that had so much potential to be over as a main roster act is now going to be in a state of limbo heading into Tuesday's show and we'll see what happens beyond that but the war raiders who I will call them are great. Every time I see those fucking Viking helmets, I want to cry because even though they do respect the Viking heritage, they got over by being the war raiders. They got over by being war machine on the indie scene in Ring of Honor specifically. And I just hate the gimmick. I don't like it. Eric and Ivar are great. They're badasses when they're able to let loose and do their own thing. And hopefully they'll be able to showcase that this Tuesday against the Creeds. And I can imagine Brutus and Ivar trading hops because we you know, both men can kind of take height when need be. And I really like the tag match they had with uh, the creative wrestler and um, <laughs> the uh, the physique guy. I can't. His, his name is the that is literally the the creative wrestler's name from the last two K game, the one before this. His name was like Baron Blade, isn't that his name? That's that was like the main antagonist of your of your my superstar story was this Baron Blade guy, and they gave him that name. 
but I like the tag match. I actually thought they looked pretty good in the tag match. They looked much better than they did in the tournament. They seem to have kind of slowed down. And, um, yeah, I thought they looked really good. But the Viking Raiders, I'll tell you one thing. I will say this about the 2.0 crowd. This is probably the only good thing I'm going to say about 2.0, though, in this episode. When a main roster act comes down, regardless of how they're treated on the main roster, they they treat them like big deals. Like, War Raiders came out, and people acted like they had been on an excursion in New Japan for the last six months or something <laughs> and had just come back after winning, you know, the, the tag team, the, the tag team tournament that they have over there. It's, it's crazy that it's, it feels like two different worlds for real. Like, does WWE have 300 plants in there? Because it's crazy how different it feels. Like, they treated them like they were a huge deal. And I should have said this when it was Natalia, but War Raiders really take the cake for me. You know, I mean, I have they, I mean, the last time they were on TV, they were getting embarrassed by the Usos. They kept getting their helmets taken. And then they come back, <laughs> they come back home. And they're like these, they're the, you know, the conquering heroes coming back to beat up the creator wrestlers. This is, I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> the crowd is funny. But then, but then Braun Breaker's not their champion. They want Joe Gacy. But, you know, the War Raiders are, are welcome back home. War, war. Oh, my God. Get out of here, man. 2.0 just be pissing me off sometimes. I thought I was going to say something nice, but then it turned into a, just another, I'm sorry. I went on another rant. It went to a heartwarming reception, too. <laughs> Their helmets got stolen by the Uso. <laughs> and we cracked up when that happened a couple of months ago on SmackDown. And I Didn't it happen it. two weeks in a row? It, two weeks, they got jacked twice and got beat up. And they got jumped in Saudi Arabia. Their match never took place. Like they took a flight to Saudi Arabia and got jumped and That's said, right. well, fuck you in this match and your helmet. <laughs> and, you would, and you would think that like you would at least let them like maybe get a maybe get payback on a smackdown and like, you know, beat down the Usos and take their Jordans or something. You know, like do something equivalent to taking a Vikings helmet. You'd be taking the Usos shoes. You know what I mean? Like, but nah, they don't get nothing. But they get the they get the welcome home chant in NXT 2.0. Like they've been winning titles or something the last six months. Oh, it's crazy. This crowd would share anything from the main roster. Dolph Ziggler has been missing ever since losing the NXT championships. The thrill has gone there. Natalia hops to the portal. She's more over than ever, not on main roster WWE television. And now the Viking Raiders get replenished and rejuvenated on this show after getting bitched out in various feuds against the Usos over the last few months or so, even dating back since before WrestleMania. I think they got bitched out in a some kind of match that I'm trying to remember. Like They got absolutely bitched out. They were eliminated. I need Jenner to go back. Yes. Like, oh my God. Like, well. The Miz. Oh, Jesus. The yeah, Miz. He got a great reaction, too. Yeah, he got love. Jenner can go back and say, wow, it feels like 2012 at Full Sail. Look at that. They love me. They really love me. They love the Maharaja. If I had the Bollywood boys, I'd be set for life. But look at me. Oh, man. They would it, love them. Uh, They'd be great on 2.0. They would. They would actually be pretty over. So memories of that. But just remember, Viking Raiders, before WrestleMania, bitched out on SmackDown. But on NXT 2.0, they're heroes. That's all that matters. 
And I think that we have buried the show enough. We had to kick it off. The lead story this week was NXT 2.0 and the roster cuts in this very shit-tastic show. But I do want to give a shout out to my girls, Casey and JoJo. We're going to call them that still. And they had, Oh, boy. And, you know, Katana Chance changed her name for the whiskey. I want to clarify that. She wanted to <laughs> let loose and change her name for the whiskey of it all. But I will give a shout out to Lucy Leon and Valentina Feroz. I like them a lot as a tag team. They need more refinement, preferably more reps on the road. WWE, if you just stop being so damn stingy and lose some money to get people better. I do, I do like them as a tag team and I enjoyed their match. And that was easily the best thing from Tuesday's show to be generous on 2.0 for just a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I agree with you. I actually really like their tag team too. I think they're, a bit too daredevilish, you know, because I remember the couple of those dives that Raquel and Gonzalez saved both their lives. Um, so I do remember that. But the Casey, I, I do want to touch on the Casey and JoJo thing. That internet promo um, that she cut, if that's maybe she was really drunk on whiskey for real, because um, <laughs> she definitely was full on Coyote Ugly right there. And, you know, she was like, you know, I like the party and, you know, I, I'm I'm getting I must she must have been drunk the whole time she was Casey because now she's sober and is Katana. Or, what's her name? Katana? Katana Chance. Katana Chance. So she went from the American Ninja Warrior to now she's the American Ninja Warrior sword. Because she's a katana, a katana you know? Yes. She's a sword now. Um, and then also JoJo's face during the entire thing. Because she was like, you don't know what I could do. And JoJo was like, uh-oh, what you about to say? Hold on, don't be telling our secret. What you about to Don't be spilling the beans. Don't be telling where the body's at. You know better. I don't think JoJo was ready for that. And mm-hmm. I don't think JoJo's happy about Casey telling the world about her drinking problem. So, um, you know, JoJo's face said it all this was really bad and um this deserved to be on that bad show this week yes we needed to see it it was online but we need to see the name change for the world to witness how bad this promo was to explain that i did it for the whiskey and i'm damn proud of it (laughs) katana chance whiskey lover connoisseur and part-time sports entertainer apparently because i love my whiskey and a 450 to go with it but hey That's 2.0 for you as we transition to a better show. Monday Night Raw going down live from Knoxville, Tennessee. And we kick things off with the 20th anniversary celebration of Randy Orton's debut in WWE. And I love this segment. We got a great video package on Orton's career hosted by his tag team partner and one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions, Riddle. Randy comes out there to a great ovation. He's very thankful and appreciative for his 20 years in WWE. Shouts out his opponents, including Triple H. You got in there. Mick Foley, John Cena, Daniel Bryan, just a whole host of people that really formed Orton's career early on. And he gives a shout out to Riddle, his best friend, the guy that has made this so much fun for him over the last couple of years. And I love that for Orton. He's happy. He's excited. He's joyous. And that's something we don't see for him a lot in WWE over the last 20 or so years. As you can tell, he's having the time of his life. And Riddle has one more surprise in the form of the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. And they share an embrace. It's a very sweet moment. And Seth Rollins, who's sitting out there looking like a supersized leprechaun, gets in the ring and basically tells Cody, hey, Cody, dude, this isn't about you. 
Every celebration is not about you. Then we get Ezekiel Ezekiel in the ring, introducing himself as Elias's younger brother and saying, when we were little, Randy, we watched you. And Randy did like this little, the motion like this, this small when you saw me working all those years ago. And then Kevin Owens comes out to say that Ezekiel is a liar. He's really Elias. And that leads to the Usos coming out to confront the tag team champions. And that leads to Adam Pearce coming out to make an eight-man tag team match official involving all RK bro alongside the American Nightmare Cody Rhodes and Ezekiel versus the Usos Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens which would be the main event of Monday Night Raw and I thought this was a very fun classic WWE opening segment featuring a celebration and a lot of shade along the way from Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins specifically towards Ezekiel and Cody so I enjoyed it and most of all Randy's had a very wonderful and fun celebration 20 years in the game and he's having the time of his life and because of that the fans are loving him now more than ever i would argue this is one of this is probably randy orton's best babyface run he's ever had and i think he's had some really good ones but there's something special about this relationship with riddle that really resonates and connects with the audience and i think it's i think a lot of it is riddle like i i think riddle just has a connection with the audience that you know it's one of those things that you just can't kind of teach that people just have and it's rubbing off on orton and the reactions he's getting is like we genuinely like you man like we're we're fully behind you. These are genuine reactions. And it was cool to go down memory lane. Um, if you heard last week's show at all, you know, I this is my guy right here. Um, I'm all for Randy. I was fully expecting the rug to get pulled out from under at some point. But this is a fine segment. It was a nice little legacy reunion there. Um, I enjoyed all of this. The Ezekiel thing is still... I'm still not quite there with it. I don't think... He, I appreciate them trying to bring somebody new into the mix, but I don't know if he's the guy I'd be fiddling around in the main event with. You know, that's just me, but um, everything was good here. The Usos just get to show up whenever they want, whichever show they want. Doesn't matter. They, there's no, Why were they on Raw? What were they doing on Raw? <laughs> what were they doing on Raw? Who, who invited them to Raw? Like, and then they just get a match. Like what? What was what was going to be the main event if the Usos didn't show up? Was it going to be a four on two? Like what was what was the plan if the Usos weren't going to show up? Like some some stuff like that. That that might be me overthinking it, and, and I am being a little harder on them this week than normal. But my God, dang! Just just give me just give me a, a, some type of reason. Tell me, Paul Heyman called Adam Pierce and pulled some strings. That's all you got to say. Real quick, one line. Throw it out there. But uh, it was fine. Set up a good match at the end. Uh, happy ending. You know, I got my barrage. I was happy. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And the Usos just happened to be there, just on the standby for this opening segment. Right. Let's crash the party because that's our cue to go in there and cause trouble. But we'll get to all of this later on SmackDown as we were celebrating tag team wrestling for the last couple of weeks on this show. And WWE says no. We still hate tag team wrestling. We're going to show you why on SmackDown momentarily. But other happenings on Monday Night Raw included Becky Lynch returning for the first time since losing to Bianca 
Belair for the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania nearly a month ago. And she's back and she is at rock bottom now. She is at her lowest she's ever been, not having a championship for the first time in three years. But she is going to make the Becky Lynch comeback. The redemption story is on and she is going to find a way to get a rematch against Bianca Belair and beat her for the Raw Women's Championship. And nobody in that locker room can do a damn thing about it, but someone can in the form of the returning Asuka who gets an amazing ovation from the Knoxville crowd. And she tells Becky Lynch, oh, I think I can do something to you because you're not ready for Asuka. And she tries to backfist Becky and Becky runs. And I'm very happy to see Asuka back. It's been a long time since she's been in a WWE ring dating back to last year's Money in the Bank pay-per-view that was that was still named a pay-per-view back then before premium live events were a thing. She injured her arm after that show and took some time away from the ring, but she's back. She looks amazing. And I do find it interesting that nearly two years ago, Asuka won the women's Money in the Bank ladder match from WWE headquarters on the roof during peak pandemic times. And the next night on Monday Night Raw, Becky Lynch revealed that she was pregnant and Asuka won the championship that was in the briefcase and they shared that moment and now we run it back two years later and it's Asuka crashing Becky's redemption story and the good news is these matches are going to be absolutely amazing because their chemistry is always on point and imagine two years removed from their most recent matches on Raw and on pay-per-view they're going to produce magic together once again as a way to get Becky away from Bianca Belair and the Raw Women's Championship for now. So I mentioned that Randy Jordan was my favorite male wrestler. Asuka is my favorite women's wrestler. And I know most probably think listening to this show, it's Bianca Belair. She's a close second. But Asuka is my favorite women's wrestler, bar none. I, the, the energy she has, the way she moves, the way she dances, the way she glides to the ring... The way she hits the ropes, her speed, everything about her is different and feels different. She's she's going to be a huge jolt of energy to this women's division. And I think she's also going to be the key to keeping Bianca. You mentioned Bianca and Becky Lynch and keeping Becky Lynch away from the title for a bit. I think Asuka's the key to keeping Bianca Belair away from Rhea Ripley which needs to be the priority. They need to be kept separate until either SummerSlam, which I think is too early, either SummerSlam or WrestleMania. That need if if Bianca Belair is not facing Charlotte Flair at next year's WrestleMania, it's got to be Rhea Ripley. And I say Charlotte Flair cuz that completes the four horsewomen and you would beat three in a row at WrestleMania winning a title would be incredible. Um, but I think that this is great for the women's division. Asuka versus Bianca Belair, that's a banger. That's a banger waiting to happen. Um, You know, watching Asuka just throw the strikes at Bianca and and seeing Bianca try to... She hasn't really faced a striker. You know, when you think about it, the, the women that she's faced so far, none of them are strikers. Not like an Asuka. Even Sonya Deville, who does have the MMA background, she's not a striker. You know, she does. She's got some suplexes, but she's throwing more, you know, mat ground based type thing. Oscar's throwing kicks, back fists, slaps. She's hitting hard. That's a different feel. 
I'm really excited about that. Even her versus Rhea Ripley running that back with fans now, and especially if we they give us this heel Rhea Ripley, you know the the monster badass heel Rhea Ripley. I mean, I'm really excited about what Asuka could bring to the table. She didn't even have to win the title, but she she's so important right now. I fully expect her to beat Becky Lynch. I think Becky Lynch is going to go on a huge losing streak. So I expect Asuka to win there. And then I kind of think she's going to segue into a Rhea Ripley. And that should kind of be a number one contenders feud. That's a problem WWE has is if you're not going for the title, we don't really care about what you're doing. They need to start having people built up. And Rhea and Asuka can have a really fun feud. Asuka can have a really fun feud with Liv Morgan. That could be a lot of fun. I mean, she can work well with so many people. And like I mentioned, the Bianca Belair Asuka match, you can get two matches out of that. That's a that's a SummerSlam match. For my money, that's a great SummerSlam title match. Because if you have that, that means Becky Lynch is going to face somebody. So that's two women's matches off top, just on the Raw side. You're probably going to get Rhea Ripley in the match. You could potentially have like five women's matches on a SummerSlam card. That's what we want, right? Built up, strong matches. That's what we want. I'm way more intrigued by Becky Lynch, Rhea Ripley match than Shanky versus Ricochet. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's what I, Asuka opens the door for so much. There's so much potential with her being back, even with this thin roster. And I'm forgetting about Dewdrop. Mm-hmm. That's another really fun match. Oscar versus Dewdrop. Man, I I think Oscar being back is the breath, the fresh air, and the jolt of energy this division really needs and can be key for Bianca and Rhea Ripley specifically. Yeah, I go back to what I said prior to Bianca winning the championship at WrestleMania and that when she wins the championship, it opens this division up to so many possibilities that weren't there that weren't there before because Becky was the champion. And when she's there, it's a bottleneck and you can't do much because she's going to wipe through all the challengers. Bianca's a champion and opens up Oscar versus Bianca, Oscar versus Rhea Ripley. Once again, Oscar versus Becky Lynch versus Liv Morgan. The options are endless. Dewdrop, who I was about to mention as well. She is right there and she is so mm-hmm. good. And that's how you create secondary feuds, not revolving around the Raw Women's Championship. It's a way to get other people ready for that championship match for Hell in a Cell, for Money in the Bank, for SummerSlam. If you want to save Rhea Ripley versus Bianca Belair for WrestleMania, that's how you do it. And hopefully Alexa Bliss gets back in there as well to really add more depth to this division, which is really healthy if you just give the ladies ample television time every Monday night. That's the quantity we're talking about. That's the quality they were speaking of when you can mesh those things together and make it make sense in terms of how you produce these segments and how you put the matches on. That's how fans are given a reason to care. And Oscar being back in the fold definitely opens up this division a bit more and it gives Becky something to do on the side, not revolving around Bianca Belair or the Raw Women's Championship for a change. So I'm all for Asuka's return. It was a great segment. And here's hoping that it leads to so much more for this women's division moving forward as we move on to stadium season. Because WWE's got three stadium shows in two months. And they got to start building stuff from the roots up with Asuka right at the forefront of it alongside 
obviously Becky Lynch. As we move on to something we spoke about a couple of weeks ago on this show, and I jokingly said that Cody Luther King can be the guy to offer treaty negotiations between Mustafa Ali and WWE. Only he can bring these two parties together once again. And sure enough, Mustafa Ali shows back up. He heard me. They heard the message. He was back on Monday Night Raw. Now, in my mind, I prefer him to be back on SmackDown feeding with Ricochet over the Intercontinental Championship. That's where it's at. But I do like the fallback of Ali back on Monday Night Raw talking shit to your favorite wrestler, The Miz, rightfully so. And he had my joke of the night saying that it's very funny anytime The Miz wrestles. And it is comical to see him wrestle as if he's a serious performer at WWE. And I appreciated Ali for saying that, even though I can sense Scott's anger coming through the screen when I lobby a diss at The Miz from afar, but I can't help myself. And Austin Theory, I'm sorry, Theory, government name has been dropped. He's a new United States champion. He is ducking Ali because Ali wants a shot at the championship and Miz is forced to be in this match due to a text message from Vince McMahon. And I'm going to give Miz credit. He held his own against Ali. It was pretty good mostly as he tried to work over the knee of Ali, trying to put it in the figure four leg lock. But Ali counters that into a small package for the victory. And I'm very happy that Ali got the win, but then he did not have a chance to celebrate when Ciampa, don't call him Tomasa, attacked him from behind. And I look at this possibility of Ciampa versus Ali, a great match if given time on Monday Night Raw. Let those two guys cut loose. That's a great mini feud heading into whatever they're going to do revolving the United States Championship. So I'm all for Ali's comeback to WWE. I always thought he was a gifted performer. And if you see value in him, you push him, you use him. Hopefully they had great conversations and talks on the side led by Cody Luther King to make sure that he was very happy upon his return to WWE because it made no sense to pay somebody for staying at home. Pay them for going to work and using them appropriately. And better yet, don't give them something insulting to do that goes against everything they stand for. He was on CBS Evening News a couple of years ago proclaiming things he would never do due to his religion and his background of not being a stereotype, not playing into the notions of what a foreign menace is supposed to be in WWE. He spoke that truth to power. And I'm glad that he stood his ground and said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do what you tell me. This goes against who I am. And hopefully WWE pays attention to that moving forward. Uh, first off, um, you're uh, <laughs> coming. <laughs> so what we're not going to do is we won't be we won't be throwing any shade at the Miz. <laughs> you know, is this is a uh, a Miz shade free show? We saving all the shade for 2.0. Okay, this is not not especially after he had a good match, man. Nope, not here for it. Not after that. Not after Monday. He had a good <laughs> match. I will say this though, the Miz does work. Really well against people like Ali, Rey Mysterio, guys like that who can create a lot of movement. You know, it's the people that the Miz can kind of hit, move, you know, catch and moves, catch with the big boot, catch with that reverse backbreaker into the neckbreaker, catch with the DDT. When he can catch people with moves who can create that movement and then they can springboard all into him, you know, hit the ropes, hit him. Those are the types of people who can create 
the matches that the Miz has. When the Miz is the one who's being forced to create the movement and create the 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 action, that's when the problem comes in. But when he's in there with a guy like Ali, though, and obviously Ali can have a match with a broomstick and probably have fun, but when the Miz is in there, especially the way he can play and and get the crowd to get behind him, there was clearly a reason that Ali interrupted the Miz. And I, I'm assuming it's because they want something more for Ali because he could have did this against anybody. He could have got this roll-up win against, you know, T-Bar or somebody, you know, or somebody like that. But they did it with the Miz to for one, to get the reaction, to make sure people know, hey, we're bringing back the old Mustafa, you know, the 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 guy who's the baby face, the one that everybody wants to get behind. We're bringing him back, and that's why we're bringing him back against The Miz. He gets a good win against The Miz, who has been winning matches. So I like this. I think this all fits well. Um, the Champa thing is weird, though, because... Champa hasn't been established on Raw. You know, he's he's been a good guy as far as we know when he's showing up on Raw. So that's an interesting dynamic. And then you throw Theory in there. I that's a whole that's an interesting little four way you could have with Miz, Theory, Ali, and Champa, and could create some fun matches because I I think the the combination of those four you could have some fun there, and I could definitely see the U.S. title. Not uh, whenever Theory loses, he's moving on. But between the three, like Miz, Ali, and Champa, I think those three could have a lot of fun with that U.S. title because I think Theory is only holding it until they're ready to move him up. And he's already teasing a few with John Cena, so I think that's coming sooner than later. But whenever the U.S. title goes on to one of those three, I think the U.S. title could be in good hands come from come the fall, uh, whenever that happens. Yeah, and John Cena's 20th anniversary is coming up too. And it could there you be go. it could be setting up Theory and Cena at SummerSlam. I do see that as a possibility. Now for poor Theory, John Cena's gonna cook you on the microphone. I just want to let you know right now. <laughs> it's gonna be a one-sided slaughter. And I feel for him in advance, because it ain't no way you're gonna be able to even match him bar for bar. So I'm going to pray for that man because that is going to be a one-sided ass whooping on the mic. It's going to be great. It's going to be a one-sided decisive ass whooping. So hopefully Cena is going to be (laughs) clearing his summer schedule. There are no movies. There is no commitments anytime soon. He can do a cameo here and there. The The Summer of Cena Part 2. I would love to see it. It was a lot of fun last year. So here's hoping they can book Theory versus Cena for SummerSlam. But Cena is going to eat that man alive in the microphone. And Theory, I pray for you, son. I really do. So you might want to go to promo class on the side at the PC and learn from the best. Maybe call up Sean and say, can you give me some tips on how to hold my own against John Cena? Because, son, I'm praying for you right now. It ain't going to be pretty. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Malcolm Bivens is right there. Oh, God. He could have had a nice little promo exchange with John Cena. I mean, that'd have been great. Think about Malcolm Bivens, little self, walking <laughs> up, poking John Cena in the chest as he looks up to him and says, I'm going to whoop your ass. Because that's something he would say to him and just poke him in the chest. And, no one, and him and Theory would both be scared of him, so they would both be cowering behind each other. Man, I'm back to the Bivens thing. I... I <laughs> 
is so frustrating. He's right there. There's so many people who could use them. Austin Theory is not a bad promo, but Bivens would be... They would be great together. I, I don't know, man. This is... I'm back to Bivens. I'm sorry. I know. And here's what's going to really make you sad, because just imagine... I'm going to do it, because just imagine it, and then I want you to cry when it's over. So it's Biv and it's John Cena in the ring. And Biv is in John Cena's face and he pokes him in the chest and says, I can't see you, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Can you see me? (laughs) He's smart, man. Like he's so aware too and clever. Oh, where you at, John? And just poking in his chest. Like, where you at, bitch? I can't see you. Can you see me? I can't see you. Looking around him. Yes, he's right there. (laughs) Oh my God. It's right there. See, see, now you're pissing me off. I'm why sorry. are you doing that, Keeler? Why, why are you doing that? Because only Viv would pull that off. Only he would have a face-to-face confrontation and touch this man and say, I can't see you, bitch. He would break Cena. Yes. He would make Cena cry. Yes. Like, where are you, Cena? I can't see you. And he's looking down, looking up, like, where are you, Cena? The, only he could pull that off. And it just makes me sad that we would never get that because that would be art on television. But... <sighs> WWE. I will say, I hope you're right about the Summer of Cena, because I think that that would be a really cool concept to kind of keep around yearly, especially if Cena's not going to be around for WrestleMania. I mean, the Summer it, the SummerSlam is their WrestleMania this summer. I think that would be a really cool and unique kind of concept. Hey, that Summer of Cena, too. He's back for this time again. I think that'd be perfect. Yeah, ticket sales go right up the roof as well because when he was Absolutely. announced for those shows, those tickets were moving. So he was a difference maker when WWE went back on the road last year. And it is his 20th anniversary in June. And it's a great way to bring him back if he can fit it in the schedule. I know he's a very busy man, but I would love to see him back. Batista, 20th anniversary too. Just think about all the OVW guys. Cena, Batista, Randy Orton coming in at the exact same time. Shelton. Shelton. The same class. I got the magazine from like 02 when all of those dudes are breaking through. We're going to leave Deacon Batista alone. But hey, he had his moment collecting that money for um, Reverend Devon. You know? So that's Brock too, right? Yes, Brock too. Back in 02. That whole class debuted in 2002. Wow. That's crazy. And what's crazy is Brock and Roman, for my money... Two of the best wrestlers going as far as just pure wrestling. And I know people are going to be like, but Randy's so boring. Randy's so smooth. Like <laughs> That guy is so smooth, man. And Brock is Brock. is Brock. And if you don't think Brock's good, you're not watching. So I, I think it's – I think what they've been able to do and guys like Jericho and, you know, these older guys who – even Edge who are just able to – still put out these really good matches, man. It's it's a testament to them and how they've been able to not only take care of themselves, but make their matches and the stuff they do in the match matters. They're not doing just crazy stuff just to do it. Yeah. And that leads us to our main event featuring the aforementioned Randy Orton teaming up with his tag team partner, Riddle, alongside... Ezekiel and the American Nightmare Cody Rhodes who gets all the pyro 
in the main event spot versus the Usos running defending tag team champions for SmackDown alongside Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. And this was a love letter to Randy Orton, 20 years in the game, and his comeback was fantastic. He had belly-to-back suplexes for Owens, for Rollins, for Jimmy Uso on that announce table, and Kevin Owens was poked in the eye by Randy. And in the loudest, comical way possible, he says, my eye, oh, my eye, and he gets dropped on the table. I loved it. And then Randy hits that draping DDT on Jey Uso, and there is an RKO party, RKOs to everyone before a Jey East one from the top rope as Randy gets to win. He's so excited, so happy about this. I thought this was a fantastic party match. It was a vibe in Knoxville, a way to celebrate 20 years of Randy Orton WWE. And I just want to make mention that in the early years of Randy Orton's career, let it be known that top rope Randy was the thing. The man had the most beautiful top rope, most of drop kick, the cross bodies were everything, but he realized, hey, that shit was hurting my arm. It was hurting the shoulder. It was hurting the collarbone. Had to stop it to slow down. And that's how veterans are made. You learn how to work a little bit smarter, a little bit different. And here's hoping that A&E produces a documentary on Randy Orton. Because to be quite frank, the first one sucked. It was boring. It was bad. But the redo with the riddle chapter added to it should be everything. And this match should be a nice cliff note on things as we look back on it years from now. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Like you said, I love how you worded it, a love letter to Randy Orton. Um, One of the best hot tag comebacks in the game. I thought his was fantastic. The RKO barrage, the suplexes on the table, which has been a a beautiful addition to his. One thing about Randy Orton, every every few years, he's added something new to his repertoire. You know, when he was younger, um, you know, he was doing the the backbreaker onto his back when he drops to his knees. He was using that for a while. He gets rid of that. He starts adopting the DDT um, hanging on the ropes. You know, he gets rid of that. Well, not get rid of it, but then he starts, then he adds the punt kick. You know, he's always added. Then he started adding T-bone suplexes. You know, he started throwing people around. Then he added the, the back suplex onto the table, onto the apron. You know, all these different moves. I I love the evolution of it. And you mentioned, you know, he, he used to do the drop kicks. And yeah, I loved his crossbody, especially when he was that, that young Randy Orton. Um, when he went babyface, he was always doing a big crossbody, always doing that, the drop kicks. Uh, he doesn't even really throw the drop kicks like that anymore. And that was a staple in his, in his repertoire, that high drop kick right at the top of your head. That's a, that's a rarity now. He's not throwing that out all, all the time. So great point there. Another thing I liked, um, at least I don't remember him doing it. I don't think Cody hit a Cody cutter during this match, which was, um, unless I'm wrong, which was a nice touch too. The only let Randy hit the RKO's. Love that the one that Riddle threw uh, one of the Usos up into the RKO. So that was nice. Uh, this is a excellent send off. I'm really happy that Orton got to have this really good moment and that nobody attacked him afterwards because there was a part of me that was like, okay, who is it going to be? Is it going to be Cody? You know, is it going to be 
Is it going to be Riddle? Is this the moment? Is Roman about to show up and and spear everybody out the ring? Who's going to ruin this moment? Nobody did. My boy got his flowers. And uh, yeah, great way to end the show. And uh, it, it was, this was, it's almost like WWE was like, huh, look at what AEW's doing, doing when they give somebody a show. You know, we build a show around them and we let them have a moment. What do you know? People actually really like that. We'll try that with Randy. And it, what do you know? It worked. Produces good TV. I'm here for it. Um, I hope Shelton gets something like this. I hope they at least mention it. But, you know, reparations. I'm sure they'll mention Shelton's in February. Come February, I'm sure they'll be like, oh, Shelton's been here 20 years, by the way. Don't worry. We're going to give Shelton's flowers all month long during Black History Month. Yeah. So I'll, I'll look forward to February when Shelton gets his 20-year anniversary plaque. He'll get a paperweight saying thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to get a That's dundee. what will happen. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Cody did, uh, he did do a disaster kick, not a cutter, that led into the RKO to Seth Rollins. So that was the little nice nod to their history as a part of Legacy. So Cody knew to defer to Randy. No cutty, no cutty. Cody Cutters on this particular night. So all good for Randy. A wonderful celebration. And on top of Randy having a good night, Bianca Belair won in her hometown. She wasn't embarrassed. So for one week only, Randy Orton born in Knoxville, Tennessee. Bianca Belair from Knoxville, Tennessee. They had a good night. They were not bitched out. They were not disrespected in their hometowns. And by WWE standards, that is a miracle. Yeah, and uh, the Bianca Belair one, that was really shocking. Even if it would have been a DQ beatdown afterwards, it was it was nice to see her just continually overcome the odds, get her reparations, and hopefully Sonya Deville can pick on someone of her own skin tone. Yeah, she did pop Carmella and Queen Zelina backstage. Well, she got see, she had to get Zelina too, though. You know yes, what I mean? Y- you know, just, just to balance things out a bit. But I <laughs> found yes, but I found it very interesting that Co- that Corey Graves didn't say a word when his wife got slapped. <laughs> you had nothing to say, Corey, huh? You was real silent over there in the corner. You didn't say, Sonya, what's up? What's good? You didn't say nothing. You just sat there. Mm-hmm. The boy said, I got bills to pay. She's expensive. That's an expensive <laughs> wife right there. That honeymoon is still being paid off as we speak. So What? <laughs> I haven't even started paying it off. I just put the down payment down. Yes. I got to start my payment plan. The first of 36 installments. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, we've laughed about Monday Night Raw. And it was a fun show. And then SmackDown happened. And... um What I'm about to say is going to be very controversial towards the tribal chief, the head of the table, the unified universal champion, Roman Reigns, a man that I respect immensely. I will acknowledge him as my tribal chief, but let it be known that for two weeks on this show, if not more, we were championing tag team wrestling for weeks 
RK Bro and the Usos carried Raw and SmackDown for these unified tag team titles, which was supposed to go down at WrestleMania Backlash next Sunday on Peacock. This was the match. At one point, my co-host, Scott Young, sat here on this very show and said, this should be the main event. This is the draw. This is going to be the main, main focus of the show. And I agreed. You had Riddle beat both Usos in back-to-back weeks. Randy beat Jay this past Monday on Raw to build up to this highly anticipated match. And then we have a contract signing involving both teams. And Randy throws some shade at Jimmy and Jay saying that, hey, Riddle, you can't tell the difference between the two Usos. Look, Jimmy has long hair, red on one side, black on the other. Jay's got the shorter hair. But let's really get down to it. Jay Uso is the right-hand man and Jimmy is just a little bitch. And then that leads to a scrimmage between both teams. Roman comes out there to stir the pot a bit, which allows Jimmy and Jay to super kick Orton and deliver the 1D to Riddle. And then McIntyre comes out there to really hit Roman with some stiff shots and the overhead belly to belly suplex. So Roman tells Paul Heyman to go backstage to talk to Adam Pierce saying that, you know what? I'm not feeling this tag team unification match anymore. A match that he wanted because remember, let's go back to the night after WrestleMania in Dallas, Texas. You got Roman Reigns holding the championships high above the air and one arm's a little hurt from WrestleMania and he's posing and he's celebrating and he tells us, he tells two million viewers, hey guys, I'm the best, I'm the shit. Tune in to SmackDown on Friday so you can find out my next steps. So we tune in to SmackDown a few weeks ago and he tells the Usos, hey guys, I want you to go to Monday Night Raw and I want you to unify these tag team titles. I want you to bring all the gold and or silver to the bloodline. I want all the gold on SmackDown. So let me get this straight, Roman. You initiated this idea to have unified champs on both shows. And now you tell Paul to tell Adam, you know what? I don't want it no more. Now I want a six-man tag team match. And Paul is going to threaten Adam by saying, if you don't do this, we're going to go to the board of directors to shake you down, to get you fired, to change this match. And sure enough, WWE changes the match. So the match that we cared about most is not happening at WrestleMania Backlash. A six-man tag that could headline a Raw SmackDown is taking place instead. And all I got to say to Roman Reigns is that when you said what your next steps were going to be post-WrestleMania, you know what you should have said? One, two, three, Cancun, bitch. See you in June. Because this plan sucks. You know, when you um, <clears throat> when you sent the rundown for what we were going to be talking about tonight, you uh, or the other night, you uh, you only had two things down for SmackDown. And I'm glad about that because there's only two things that were even worth mentioning. And one of them is the disappointment, again, of WWE just doing WWE things. WWE going WWE. That's just, that's their motto. It needs to be on their shirt. That needs to be on their website. Everywhere you go, you need to just see that. WWE going WWE. When they do some, those releases should have the tagline, WWE going WWE. When Joe Gacy pushed Braun Breaker off, you know, instead of the end credits, it should have just read WWE going WWE. That should, that's what it should have said. Because 
you had the opportunity because and you've been doing it the last few weeks to just continue making these two tag teams feel like a main event. And you had that opportunity. You had an opportunity to give Shinsuke Nakamura a big match against Roman Reigns for free on, on TV. To let people have a little taste of Roman Reigns. To give him a dominant victory over Shinsuke on, on TV. And let the tag team's main event. You've been building this match. You've been building anticipation. Uh, Roman comes out, sets a mission plan. We don't get that a lot. And Roman's a guy who for the last three years, probably, well, I guess I get roughly about three years since he came back, where everything he says, he does. Every, everything he has set out to do, he has done. And that's why he, there's this level of respect. When he speaks, people take notice. When he said, I want all the gold. Okay, I believe you. We're going to get that match. We got the contract signing. We got all the way to the contract signing. And Drew McIntyre comes back. I mean, first of all, so you dapped. Did, did Riddle and Randy Orton slip you some Scottish bud? Is that why you all <laughs> of a sudden on their side? Because you dap up Orton and now all of a sudden you're coming in for the save? Where were you at for the Viking Raiders? Aren't they your boys? Aren't they like your boys for real? Like y'all seem like y'all would go skin a bear or something together. You know, like I could see y'all throwing axes together, sharpening your swords. What's his sword's name? What's Drew's sword's name? Angela. Angela. I could definitely see you taking Angela out and you guys practicing your swords together, you know, and the Viking Raiders with their axes. It's like it's like the old Sega game, Golden Axe. I'm showing my age now. Nobody knows what a Sega is. Um, again, just throwing stuff at the wall. You couldn't save. So this would be like the fifth time Drew McIntyre had come out that evening for SmackDown because this is that was taped by the way mm-hmm. last week and I'm pretty sure he came out like twice last week too. So this dude's come out like five times and you still want people to react to him and he actually got a decent reaction. You could see the people standing up. I just you, there was a Jeremy last week he was on the show he we and we talked about it there was a, an easy story they could have told getting a match with Riddle getting a match with Orton saving this match with Drew McIntyre which has to be the plan there's I mean you, you, it has to be the plan for Drew to headline against Roman in the stadium when they go overseas like that has to be the idea so what's the rush? Why are we rushing to get them in the ring together? I does this I don't understand where this is coming from. Like Roman's been one of the better one of the best book things in WWE and everything they're doing now is just feels rushed. Drew shouldn't be anywhere near Roman right now. Like I don't know, man. Again, What's going on with SmackDown? They they had everything together, and now it just seems like all right, you know, what's the? I don't I don't know. Are they getting pressure from the TV executives? Do they need to hit two point five million? I don't want to know what's going on. It just feels like they're doing stuff just to see what happens, and this crash course in TV is it's not going to work. 
It was bad. I could not even believe my eyes and Roman ripped up the contract and shoved it down Riddle's throat. Like you asked for this. You wanted this. And because Drew gets in your business. Oh no, I don't want the championships now. I want a six man tag. Like what? I don't understand this. And the truth is, we know that in Cardoff Wells, Clash at the Castle, it is going to be most likely Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. And that is going to be an absolutely electric atmosphere. The match is guaranteed to be great. Just wait until September to pull the trigger. Why do this now? It's too soon. And if you don't want Roman to defend the titles, then like I said, Cancun, I see you in June. I see you in July for money in the bank if you don't want them on TV defending these titles. And the thing that really bothers me is for the second time in a year, Shisuke Nakamura is bitched out by Roman Reigns and the entire bloodline and quote Isaiah Thomas, I met the criteria. I was there. I met the criteria to challenge this man for this championship. It is one of the best quotes from the last dance. I met the criteria. I don't know what happened. And he gets bitched out in a gauntlet match last January. And now he comes out there a couple of weeks ago to confront the entire bloodline and he gets beat up and he doesn't even appear on television to defend himself again. He can't even team up with RK bro, the logical tag team defend off the Usos and Roman Reigns. That story tells itself WWE tying itself in a pretzel because you don't have to. Nobody told you to unify these titles. You made that decision. If you don't want to merge these brands, don't merge these titles. If you're not going to keep them separate for too much longer, then by all means, do what you got to do. But if you have no intention to merge the brands, if you have no intention to merge these titles long term, then give Cody one title at SummerSlam, give Drew the other at Clash at the Castle and call it a day. I'm done. I am done. And Roman Reigns, who is reliable to be the guy to cut the promo, to speak the truth, has lost a bit of credibility due to him deciding, fuck the titles, fuck having all the gold. Let's have a six man tag team match when there is no winner takes all. Now, we'll say this. If the story is and I don't give WWE enough credit for them to think of this. But if the story is that Roman's like, I just don't want, I don't want to face Drew for the title. Like if that's the story that he's ducking Drew, I like that. And I think that adds a lot to Drew McIntyre. That puts Drew McIntyre over. Kind of the same way that Roman gave great facial expressions whenever Brock, especially when Brock first showed up. Roman was like, you know, God dang, I got to deal with Brock. If that's the story we're going with, that Drew has Roman's number, Drew is able to counter everything Roman has, I can get with that. If the story is that Drew feeds off the people, because that should be the story, because when they faced off, there was no people. And Drew McIntyre, being a baby face that he is, that should be his story, you know, when I have the people to feed off of, when I have the crowd, I, I'm better. I'm, I, I perform better. I do better. I didn't have that crowd backing me when I faced you the first time. You know, Survivor Series. This time, there's stakes. We're in my home country. I'm feeding off my energy. Like, that's, a, that's the story. That should be the story. Roman, I, and I'm okay with that. That makes sense. Roman's saying, man, I don't know if I want to face you in your home field, you know, your home turf. That's that's a little bit different. 
You know, that's I, I know who you are. I respect who you are. Man, that adds a lot to Drew McIntyre's character. To see Roman kind of like, I, I don't want to face that guy. I'm not saying I can't beat him, but I don't want to take that chance. That's what added to the intrigue with Brock. Because you knew that's how Roman felt. He didn't want to face Brock. Not straight up. That's what they need to tell with Drew. If that's the story, I can get with this. Not happy about it, but I can accept what it, where it's going. I just don't think that's what the story is. No, not yet. And I just think this is some last-minute booking decisions by WWE. Is Roman 100% since WrestleMania? Was that a legit arm injury? I don't know because he's on tour right now in the UK and he's working. If that was the case, he would skip the trip. In all honesty, why even take the trip and waste a mileage on a shoulder that might not be 100%? Even that's the case. Then you know what? Just book the six-man tag and leave the tag team titles alone. WWE chose to do this for weeks and hype and hype and hype and make us care and to pull the rug from underneath us with a week to spare. I just can't forgive it. And I don't care how they spin it. It was stupid. And I just felt like I wasted three years of my life, or let's take that back, three weeks of my life that felt like three years. And we talked about it on the show lovingly. And it feels like it's been three years ago. And it was really three weeks ago. I was about to say three years. <laughs> Boy, you, you, you really mad at Roman now. Yes. I've never <laughs> been this angry at him. Like he makes me feel very irritated this week because this was unnecessary. We celebrated these two tag teams. We were excited for this match. And now, well, bye. It's not going to happen. Oops. We false advertised. All well. That sucks. Uh Uh-oh. Charlotte Flair. Speaking of her. Uh Uh-oh. Now, you know. Oh. So, Scott teased it. So. (laughs) Scott teased it. He alluded to it. So, we had a beat the clock I quit challenge. And uh oh, and I want to clarify something because Scott mentioned the contract signing. How Drew McIntyre popped up five times in one night in a tape setting. The contract signing was the last thing taped on the show. How I know this is because uh, there was a dark match involving Bianca Belair and Sonya Deville, and I mentioned last week that Randy used his hoodie as uh, Bianca's ponytail to dance to her theme song, and it was filmed in the arena by a fan. So I knew this was the last thing that happened on the show. They rolled up the carpet. That was it. The taping was over. So they put this beat the clock challenge as the last thing we'll see on this goddamn show. Two quick bad matches featuring Wanda Rousey and Shotzi. Poor Shotzi. Just, I missed a take. She's, She's next. And that's a damn shame because she was on NXT two years ago over as hell with the tank being a daredevil in the ring. All of that is gone. Former women's tag team champion. All that's kaput, unfortunately. Then we had Charlotte Flair versus Aaliyah. And Ronda beat the clock by making shots. You say I quit in about a minute 41. And Aaliyah, she was trying to not take the figure eight. And she was able to survive the minute 41. And this entire show, we had Drew Gulak as the special guest timekeeper ringing the bell. So he didn't ring the bell fast enough for Charlotte Flair to beat the clock. So she was angry. She was upset. Uh-oh. And she decided to look Drew Gulak dead in the eye. 
and proceed to beat his ass. Grab the bell, uh-oh, and hit him in the back with said bell, uh-oh, to end the show. This was not the last thing the fans saw in that building. But in America, that's the last thing we saw on this show. And I'm like, well... Let's see. What do I want to see at WrestleMania Backlash? Do I want to see Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair in an I Quit match for the SmackDown Women's Championship? Or do I really want to see Charlotte Flair versus Drew Gulak, the true goddamn draw for this show? Because you know what? I'm not an advocate for intergender matches necessarily. But in this case, give me Drew grappling with Charlotte for 15 minutes. And I guarantee you it'll be better than whatever Charlotte and Ronda would put together because they are two people that simply don't click in the ring at this point oil and water two batteries that are just smashing into each other on the same side and they're not creating a charge whatsoever it just give me drew gulak versus charlotte flair reboot the mix match challenge for them and i'll be good because that's where the heat is at drew gets his ass beat every single week by charlotte flair give me that match it'll be better than what we'll be getting at wrestlemania backlash next sunday you know, one thing I learned growing up and, you know, getting in a couple fights myself, a couple little scraps is you don't fight wrestlers. Those are the people you don't fight. And it's not because you can't knock them out or anything like that, but it's because they're not really trying to throw hands. What they're really trying to do is scoop you and slam you and knock you out that way. Then they can have their way with you. Drew Gulak is a wrestler. Like, I have no problem with Charlotte Flair being able to beat people up. That's fine. But I don't know if it should be Drew Gulak. Like, oh, somebody who can legit go and wrestle and just take her down. You know what I mean? Like, Ronda's different, but Charlotte's not built like Ronda. You know, especially legit. Why is she not built like that? So... I don't know if Drew Gulak is the guy to be doing this with. You know, it just, it seems weird because, what was it, a year ago, him and Daniel Bryan were out there, you know, having a grappling contest, you know, and and, and putting on really good matches. Him and Cesaro putting on really good matches. And now he can't wrestle with Charlotte? And again, that's not me saying I have a problem with Charlotte beating dudes up because I, I don't have a problem with that. Like, I feel some security dudes, let her lay into him. Big boo, toss him, do whatever she wants to him. But Drew Gulak, that guy? Nah, I'm not buying that. I'm not, I'm not buying that that guy, that good of a wrestler, is looking for a job, is auditioning for jobs. He was a decent interviewer, but he's not good enough to do that because he got beat up. He can't time keep. Come on now. I mean, what? What? And first of all, what other time has a timekeeper, what other timekeeper you know gets their audition on live TV? (laughs) What? What other interviewer you know gets their audition on live TV? What other assistant is even shown on live TV on their first day? Like, Come on, man. Drew Gulak? Nah. That's that's not going to work for me. That's not that's not going to work for me. Um, I don't care about the matches. They were what they were. They, you know, why wouldn't you have Ronda Rousey win the match in like three minutes and 17 seconds? You know, to match Aaliyah's thing, 317. 
<laughs> it's like the stuff is right there. You you built an entire story about her being three seventeen. You know, uh, three points. Yeah. All right. Um, I just want to say with this about Shotzi, then I'm I'm done with SmackDown. This I, I'm done with WWE for this week. Shotzi Blackheart a couple years ago when NXT was starting, she had a match with Io Shirai and what should have been her coming out party. They had like a long 15-minute match. I think it opened the show. This is when NXT was either opening or closing the match with a long women's match. Every week, you got a really good women's match. This week, it was Io Shirai and and, uh, Shotzi Blackheart. And this was the best match I've ever seen her in. And she was great. She was fantastic. It was physical. She held her own. And you could tell she'd been in a fight. And afterwards, the crowd was like, okay, Shotzi. I, you know, I'm with it. Nothing. She gets in this tag team with Ember Moon. They get some momentum. They call her up and put her in a tag team with Tegan Knox. That's random. All right. Then she turns heel. You think she's going to do some of Sasha? She's off TV. Now she randomly shows up just to get beat up real quick. It's That's somebody you could do something with, man. She's somebody who would fit in great on 2.0. <laughs> what? Her in the tank on 2.0? Her as a character in, on, in sports entertainment? I I don't know what they're looking for. And and don't don't tell me it's the sex appeal thing because... She has sex appeal. She's not blonde, but she has sex appeal. It's a different sex appeal, but it doesn't mean she's not sexy in her own. Like, she looks good. She's got a great look. The tattoos look great on her. She's got a great physique. What? What are we doing? Like, I have no idea what they could possibly be looking for because it's not wrestling. Because they have wrestlers. They just let Dakota Kai go. So it's not wrestling. It must not be sex appeal because Shotzi Blackheart has sex appeal. What are we looking for? I I have no idea. Again, that's been the theme in this whole episode. I have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, this sums up the wrap this week and that we do not know what WWE is doing. And the conclusion is it feels like they're going back in time. And in back in time days, they would focus on your looks and they would overlook once talent who had it all. And they say, we don't want this. We want you because of how you look. And that did not work 15 years ago. And they course corrected by going the indie route, which was great. And then even then it did not work as Vince is antiquated with his vision of what professional wrestling is supposed to be. These are lessons that are learned and unlearned in WWE time and time again. And they are insulting a fan base that knows better we care about talented performers that are charismatic that can get over via good booking and 2.0 is supposed to be the new template for that but it is very mixed in terms of results right now the main roster same thing Shasu Blackheart she should be a star on Smackdown she should be a baby face but oh no she loses in a minute 41 to Ronda Rousey in this women revolution that you tout so much 
And Scott mentioned Aaliyah 317. You could have played off of that to add a little bit of tension. And then you don't even do that. And you have Drew Gulak, a talented wrestler that could give a guy like Gunther a run for his money on this show. Even though he would lose, you would know the match would be good. But you have him get beat up every single week by Charlotte and Ronda Rousey. And he can't get his licks in because that would not look right. That would not look appropriate unless you book a intergender match, which would be fine. But you're not going to do that because you always back away when you dance on that line. So this week in WWE, outside of Monday Night Raw, it is a bundle of confusion. And hopefully they get their shit together. But right now, this product, as is, is a mess. And we had a lot of good things to say about this show regarding Raw, Smack, or NXT 2.0 about a month or two ago. Now, not so much. Raw is better than it's been recently. SmackDown's fallen since the draft. NXT is going through a lot of growing pains right now. But when you think about where we were a month ago at WrestleMania, it was all good. You felt as if there was some positive momentum in WWE's favor that you felt as if, hey, they know how to produce a good show. They know how to make the people feel happy leaving a building and leave us happy watching when it's over before or midnight preferably and now they're doing shit that does not make sense especially on 2.0 which is absolutely inexplicable and smackdown when you cancel a unified tag team title match because of reasons i question what are you doing and to me that is really the telltale story of wwe wwe this week what are you doing because you were doing so well What are you doing? And it comes down to a very old man that has a good idea once every three months. And those three months can run out very fast. And we get shit like this, which we got this week. I don't even really like, yeah, he gets the final say and some of this. But to me, this is about the circle around him. Mm -hmm. Like if the circle around him changes and, and gets different ideas, then what he thinks is right and what he thinks will work will change. I, you know, yeah, it does fall on him. I'm not, I'm not, a, you know, abolishing him of any type of blame, but I think it's way more important about who's in the circle around him than just the decisions that he himself is making. Because if that circle changes, the decisions would change. The circle of vipers, the unholy trinity of Kevin Dunn, John Laurinaitis, and Bruce Pritchard. Men I cannot stand. Men that if Triple H was healthy would be out of power whenever Vince would step away. That's not happening anytime soon. So yes, our hope lies in Cody Luther King to save the day. Will he get in Vince's ear and say, you know what? Maybe we can steer this in a certain direction. We don't know. We would hope that would happen someday. But at this rate, who knows at this point? But let's just say for us hosting this show, this was by today's standards, a very rough week for WWE. And here's hoping it gets better heading into WrestleMania Backlash this Sunday on Peacock. Yeah, we'll see. You know, I... Next week will be a new week, so we'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully, Raw's good. You know, I I reluctantly will watch 2.0, but yeah, we'll next week's a new week. That's I'll leave it at that. 
Yes. And before we leave you guys, we do want to end things on a happier note via our guilty pleasure slash of order all costs picks of the week. The things we love, which might not be nothing this week from WWE and the thing to avoid all costs, which might be everything from WWE this week. So, Scott, what is your guilty pleasure if there is one? And of course, I'm sure you have plenty for the people to avoid regarding all things WWE. Yeah, and you know what's funny is my guilty pleasure is actually from 2.0, and I know we we spent the first hour dogging it, but when it does things right, it does get it right. And I have two things. I think the tag match with the War Raiders and uh, the Creator Wrestlers was really good. And I know I keep calling them, and I'm so sorry, but I cannot remember their names. One of them's Blade. And Inofu, I'm sorry, Inofu and Blade, the Inofu Blade. Um, that's what I'm gonna call him. That's how I remember him. Uh, I'm like Michael Scott. You know, he's always got to have like a nickname to remember everybody. I got to do that with them, the Inofu Blade. I'm going with that. But Roxy, I thought Roxy is is a nice revelation. She's another one that everyone's gonna be compared to because she's already got it. You know what I mean? And she's already super young, so. I think I would go out of your way to watch Roxy because she's not going to be there long. And I expect her to uh, really, I think she could be somebody you could put the rocket strap to. You know, I don't know how hard you you push her as far as like to the moon, but you could definitely get her in the orbit and have people really excited about her really quickly. Uh, My skip is... Man, let's uh let's first let's skip uh let's skip anything with Carmela Zelina Vega that backstage skit. I would tell you to skip skip the uh um the Casey and JoJo thing, but it's so bad it's good. So just skip uh the last hour of SmackDown. Fine recommendation. My guilty pleasure this week goes to everything Randy Orton related from the opening segment to the main event. That was a lot of fun. And that made my Monday night in terms of his 20th anniversary in WWE skip nearly everything from NXT with the exception of Casey and Jojo versus Leon and Faraz and Roxy wrestling circles around Mandy Rose skip all of SmackDown. Just skip the entire show. You will miss nothing. You miss nothing. And the fact that they canceled a match we were looking forward to makes a skip very reasonable. That's how bad WWE is this week. Don't watch SmackDown and avoid 98% of 2.0. And ironically enough, show some love to Monday Night Raw, the now superior show in the WWE umbrella, believe it or not. At least the Hulu edition. Hulu edition solid. Yes, if you just skip the junk in real time, the Hulu version is very, very nice. And with that, this wraps up a very shady edition of The Wrap. We really spoke our piece on many things revolving the week that was in WWE. And always, I want to thank Scott for joining me as we basically buried NXT to the points of no return almost. We left a handout. For them to just grab themselves back from the dead, just in case for, for spring break in this Tuesday. Well, thank you for having me, Keela. It's normally always a pleasure to chop it up and talk things all WWE with you. Uh, this week, it was more of a burden 
to actually watch this week's hours worth of shows. Um, yeah, it was uh, like we talked about. It was it was a rough week, but um, we're gonna start a new next week. And man, <laughs> I really hope they pick things back up next week because this was a this is a rough one. I feel like I wasted a lot of hours. Me too. And I message you. During SmackDown, I was getting irritated, which I never get when it comes to watching SmackDown most weeks. But this week between the cuts and SmackDown and the overall presentation outside of Raw, it was a wreck for WWE. But we'll be back next Monday recapping WrestleMania backlash because WrestleMania season is never over. So we won't burden you with WWE recaps of Raw, SmackDown and NXT. We might briefly touch spring break in just in case Joe Gacy is the new NXT champion by then, God forbid. Or or we won't. And if we actually, you know what? There you go. If we don't mention spring breaking, you know what happened. <laughs> that, that, there you go. There's your hook. If we don't mention it, you know exactly what happened on spring breaking. If we talk about it, okay. All is all is still okay in the NXT universe. Or the, you know, we could call it the NXT galaxy, right? right that's a thing now yes thank you very much scott young appreciation society for that little (laughs) nugget (laughs) for the little nugget of goodness of the nxt galaxy which this is basically becoming a galaxy of shit but we'll be back next monday recapping wrestlemania backlash and or spring break in briefly depending how the main event goes so for myself and for scott enjoy a new week in wwe we hope as we get ready for the fallout for wrestlemania backlash next week so for myself and for scott once again that's a wrap on all things wwe